Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in to Stand Up For The Truth. Hope you're having a great day. If not, press into the Lord and make sure that uh, you are reminded that His mercies are new every morning and He is faithful. Um, a heavy topic today regarding Bible prophecy. Before we get to that, I just want to read a quote from today's guest who writes in a recent article saying, A world with two competing spheres of influence, separated by totalitarian or democratic agendas, they are both totalitarian beasts, but by who gets to hold the reins of said beast, with the strategic bombing of the Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 pipelines, the balance of power may have just shifted eastward, at least temporarily. So... Let's just be reminded, friends, that God has full control over what's going on. He is sovereign. We know the Bible says perilous times will come. We are to stay close to the Lord, draw near to God. He will draw near to you, the Bible says. But we are also to resist the devil, and he will flee from us and walk by faith. And just remember, we have a job to do while we're here, and that job is not to hide, not to hide our light, but to shine it and the best we can in our spheres of influence. So today's guest, we are blessed to welcome back Pete Garcia. He's a retired military veteran, aviator, writer, speaker, and teacher of Bible prophecy and apologetics. And uh, he was on us on the show, I think, six months ago, maybe even longer. But his latest book is called The Disappearing, Future Events That Will Rock the World. We talked about that a little bit last time with Pete. But today we're going to talk about Current events, what's happening in the news now, and Bible prophecy. Pete, welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth, brother. Thanks for having me back. It's a real pleasure. Yeah, we're going to dive into your one of your latest articles. I know you just wrote a new one. I don't know how you do it because they are so extensive. You must just keep writing and just not take any breaks. But um, I wanted to ask you about something. I think this was the headline last week. Um, Germany was claiming that Russia was is waging war, an energy war. And according to Barron's, a German's finance minister warned that Berlin was locked in an energy war against Vladimir Putin's Russia as his government announced a major new fund to cap soaring energy prices. And it says the German government will take on $200 billion in euros in fresh debt to implement a gas price cap aimed at shielding consumers and companies from high energy costs. And then over at Politico, there was this flashback. German officials laughed at President Trump in 2018 when he warned that their country would become totally dependent on Russian energy. And Germany currently faces an energy crisis for that exact Reason. So before we dive into your article, Pete, just your thoughts on what's happening over there with Germany and Russia. Well, I think it's interesting that, you know, in Germany, the pressure from the Green Party and their, their environmentalists and the uh, liberal progressives there have really 
put Germany in a, in a bind, you know, because I, I believe that they were in the process of, of closing down all their nuclear power plants. And I think they have like one or two up that's that's still functional. But, uh, yeah, they mocked Trump back then and, uh, and, and uh, you know, he's trying to warn them ahead of time that what the situation they were putting themselves into. And I think that I think that I don't want to say that it's, you know, eating crow or pie in the face or anything for them, but <laughs> it, it kind of is. I mean, yeah. it's. it's 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 highlighted the uh, the uh, the dire straits they put themselves in due to their political um, uh, theory crafting in terms of trying to save the planet. Um, but the, the the interesting thing though with them is that uh, I, I think that this this Nord Stream one and two attack and sabotage may end up bringing them back together closer than than we can imagine. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Um, before we dive into your article, Pete, um, it's called Operation Magog for those who want to look that up. And by the way, I forgot to give the website. You can find out more information, read a lot of Pete Garcia's articles at rev310.net. That's rev310.net. So, uh, Pete, be- before we jump in, um, I can't remember when we talked last, it was probably earlier this year, I'm guessing, but uh, maybe you've been hitting any art, any conferences and what's been happening with your ministry, anything, any news you can tell us about? Yeah, so I, I do have a, uh, so uh, in terms of articles, I'm still putting out the weekly articles. Uh, I'm still doing interviews uh, with Tom Hughes, Jan Markell, and, and the like. Uh, so I've been on YouTube quite a bit. Um I do. I am speaking at a conference in Oregon at the end of October, the 21st to the 23rd at Roseburg, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, I should be able to find that fairly easily. You can just type that in in my name. Um, we'll be speaking there for three days. And uh, Terry James has a new book, a compilation book uh, that has a bunch of different authors on there. So it's not anything that he and I co-wrote together, but mm-hmm. um, I. You know, I'm in there that's coming out, or that just came out. And then we, he and I have another book that's coming out at some point on the New World Order. <clears throat> I don't know when that'll, the publishing date for that's going to be, though. Okay. Excellent. Well, I want to let's j- dive into this very important topic now. I teased uh, a quote that uh, you sent me, and it's from what you write about. And a couple weeks ago, I think, we reported, well, we didn't report, we just mentioned Tucker Carlson's interview. Uh, he was talking about Nord Stream 1 and 2, and he was playing clips of the Biden administration, Biden himself, then his press secretary, and then another person in his administration, talking about the Nord Stream pipelines, and that Biden said, we're going to do it. He didn't say we are going to sabotage it, but we're going to do it. So I know you get to that, Pete, in your article, so we can start at the beginning, unless you want to address that right up front. Well, I think I think uh, what Tucker was talking about. There's, two, there's really kind of two, in my mind, and how I categorize it. There's two kind of components to this. There's motive, and then there's culpability. The motive, obviously, um, I, I, I teed off this leak Rand report that came out back in January of 2022, uh, and basically, Rand, the you know, it's a think tank. They're supposed to be nonpartisan, but they uh, they they lean hard left. But uh, they they put out this report basically stating that it is in the U.S. best interest to keep Europe weak, and the best way to keep Europe weak or the EU is to destabilize Germany. Yeah. So that that came out in January, obviously a month or so before the war in Russia kicked off uh, and uh, Ukraine kicked off, and so that to me um, 
speaks to motive. It, it is in the Democrats' best interest to keep Europe weak, uh, to keep them dependent upon us, uh, to keep the status quo that we've had since the end of World War II. Um, and then as far as culpability, uh, I believe uh, Monkey from Monkey Works did a, a great write-up, and he does all this flight tracking and stuff. So he goes on Skyglass and all these different software programs that track flights. It's amazing. Boats and ships, maritime stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, and it has the U.S. Uh, dead to rights in that area that night doing military operations. So they're the only ones in the entire area. So I think those two things right there kind of uh, do not bode well for, for who did this or, you know, the whole who done it uh, kind of aspect to it. I think the answer is pretty obvious. And if we know that, obviously the Russians are going to know that and the Germans are going to know that. Yes, intelligence from other nations, yes, they are. It's That's not going to be hidden from them. But that's fascinating to me to read about that refueling rendezvous uh, point over near the uh, above the Russian pipeline. That's just amazing. We will get to that. And as you said, that was an article. Um, and it's interesting also the false flag idea. I've heard this, Pete, um, even from the media, even from our local media, Last night saying, hey, Biden warned about Putin. And I'm thinking, oh, really? Um, and, and so why would Russia sabotage themselves in a way? Now, I wouldn't put you can't put anything past Putin. Right. But it like you said, motive and culpability. It doesn't add up as far as Putin doing this himself. Let's start at the beginning. You go to Ezekiel 38, the first six chapters, and that's uh, the article is called Operation Magog. So let's start and just kind of walk people through this because we have a lot of new listeners since you were last on with us. All right. Well, um, the prophet Ezekiel lived around the time of the 6th century B.C. He was uh, in he was part of the captivity that was taken from uh, what was then Israel, Judah, into Babylon. And, and so God spoke to this prophet. And when we get to really kind of chapters 36 and beyond, things begin to line up sequentially in terms of how things are going to happen. Obviously, the restoration of Israel as a nation being brought back, the Valley of Dry Bones. Uh, and then when we get to chapters 38, 39, there's this um, um, conflict called the Battle of Gog and Magog. And so Magog ultimately is this coalition that they're not a religious coalition um, because they're, they're made up of major different uh, uh, religious components and economic components, and, and there's different motives for what happens. But essentially, the big three players are going to be Russia, Iran, and um, the uh, coalition from the south, which happens to be kind of like Sudan and Libya, that area as well as the former uh, Soviet satellite nations that uh, we call the stands mm-hmm. uh, that, that make up Magog. So historically, we know that uh, Magog uh, were the Scythians or the Scythians, and that, that goes back to Herodotus, who was a Greek uh, a historian. He identified the Scythians, or the Mago- the Scythians as Magogians, and they were to the farthest north of, of where Israel was. Mm-hmm. Um, so this coalition has never happened before in history. And I forgot one, Turkey is in this mix, too. Um, this coalition never happened before, so we know that this is still future. It would come after the Israel was restored as a nation, which obviously happened back in 1948. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting to see the last hundred years or so is how all these nations who used to be, you know, rival empires, you know, between the Persians and the Turks and the Turks and the Russians and the, and the Persians and the Russians, 
all rival empires throughout history. They've never had any kind of alliance before. But now we've seen that, that alliance start to form since uh, really about 2000. Once Tayyip Erdogan took over in Turkey, uh, he got friendly with Russia. And then we started to see Russia begin to um, support Iran with their uh, race to nuclear armament, uh, developing their reactors and giving, sharing with them the technology. And then obviously with the collapse of the Soviet Union back in 91, all of those stand nations, even though they're their own nations right now, they still fall under the orbit of of Russia because mm. they still speak Russian, use the Cyrillic alphabet, you know, their currencies and economies are all kind of tied the same. So mm. um, the, the big question is, what is this hook in the jaw that draws all of these nations against tiny Israel? Yes. And I think it's, I think it's a convergence of things. It's, it's natural gas, it's wealth, it's, um, you know, Israel's uh, political, geopolitical posturing against Iran and, and Iran versus Israel. So I think it's a number of things that, that kind of, are drawing this this military coalition to come together here in the future days. Yeah, convergence is a pretty big word we've been uh, using more and more in the last couple of years, I think since COVID, right? A convergence of events. But I want to ask you really quick, you kind of ask a rhetorical question in the very, uh, one of the opening um, sentences of your article, and where you mentioned George H.W. Bush and his uh, shout out to the New World Order in 1991. Uh, but you say, will it be dominated by a totalitarian Eastern world order led by Russia and China? We don't typically think of China as involved here, but they are a world power, and uh, they are going to have to be involved in some way. Uh, your thoughts, Pete, before we continue in your article? Yeah, I don't I don't know that. I mean, Russia and China obviously have had their issues over the last hundred years. They're both big communist nations. Um, they've not always seen eye to eye on things, but I think in this regard, in this one aspect that they do see eye to eye is that they do not want a Western new world order, Westernized new world order led by the World Economic Forum or United Nations, um, that that they can agree on and they see the way things are going in the world. And, uh, I think they are, they are going to be the ones to really stand against this, this whole, um, UN Agenda 2030, um, the Great Reset, all that. They don't want any part of it. So, um, But at the same time, I mean, they, the Russians are doing some underhanded things by promoting uh, green movements and green agendas via Saudi Arabia, and they're pushing that on the West because they know that those policies will fail. And obviously, they want us to fail, so they're trying to. They're selling us bad goods mm. in order for you know, in order for us to to buy into this whole thing, and then and then it starts to fall apart. As I mentioned uh, in another interview a while back, every time the World Economic Forum goes into places and they implement these uh, policies, uh, these policies are designed to fail. And and they don't, they, you know, the, the countries that are embracing these things are obviously thinking that, but these things are designed to fail. And what the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, and all those types want is they want to destabilize countries so they can come in and, and kind of, you have to, you know, break the eggs in order to make the omelet, right? So they, they are wanting to break these countries down so that they can come in and reshape them into their their own image in a way. Um, in your hypothesis, Pete, in the article, you mentioned Brexit, uh, that is the, the UK's exit from the European Union and the shift in U.S. foreign policy uh, and the destabilization of Germany. Can you ex- explain that a little bit and how this um, really fills or ties into what you're laying out here as a possibility? Yeah, so when, when Brexit occurred um, during Trump's tenure, 
that really was, you know, that was, they've always been our, you know, cousins in terms of connection with Europe. And we always had an end through them with mainland Europe. But once you, once the UK voted to, to leave the EU, I think that was a, and that's why our political left here was so hard against that. Mm-hmm. They were so, yeah. they're, you know, not just the political left, but like the deep state and, and all those folks are, were really, um, fighting against that from happening because they were going to lose that close connection to the EU. Um, and so I mean, that, that's not, um, not the only one. I think France right now is in the, in the throes of possibly exiting NATO. And I think that this signals the kind of end of NATO mm. in terms of our, our uh, transatlantic uh, cooperation over the last 70 something years. So that's a huge change in the status quo mm-hmm. with the U.S. leading uh, world affairs, you know, closely followed by Europe. Now, I think Europe's wanting to, they, they've seen us make these massive mistakes here under the recent um, administration with regards to the um, disastrous pullout of Afghanistan, uh, with our response to, um, uh, you know, obviously with Russia invading and all the, the blustering and blundering that we've done, um, and all these red lines that we've laid down that the Russia's just kind of trampled over. Uh, so that, I think that I think that it's time that they realize, and they've been talking about this for a while now, for a few years, that mm-hmm. they've been wanting to stand up their own military defense force. So I don't think um, I don't think collapsing NATO is going to be as disastrous as we're painting it out to be. I think what they'll do is they'll take that infrastructure that's in NATO now, and they'll just roll that over into a European army or European defense force. And um, I think we'll, they'll go from there. And uh, they're going to kind of cut ties with us at some point here, and they're going to use us until until they can't use us anymore, until we're, you know, smoking uh, a trash heap over here with, you know, whatever happens to us. But they see our decline. They see the, the, the shift in tides turning. Um, and, they, and the one thing Putin said a while back that made that I, that I stuck out to me, uh, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing him here, obviously, but he said something to the effect that we are um, treaty, um, uh, I'm blanking on the word, it's like a, you can't trust them. Because our administrations change every four years. So one president comes in and, and a treaty insolvent or something to that effect. One president makes a treaty, uh, you know, things are fine during that administration. As soon as that administration is over with, that treaty gets nullified or gets changed or gets mm-hmm. canceled or whatever. Yeah. And then another administration comes in and, and boom, it's it's completely different thing. So they said you can't even trust the Americans because every four years their, their leadership's changing out. So... Uh, it's making us a pariah in the in the world stage um, with our national debt. I mean, there's so many issues. We have so we have probably like 20 different you know existential issues facing our nation right now, and, and I think they see that, and they're wanting to to you know jump out of the plane. Um, they've got their parachute on. They're ready to go. They don't mm-hmm. want to go down with the plane. In, in the U.S. is the plane in this example. <laughs> Interesting. We've only got a minute left, Pete, and uh, you, you also we talked a little bit about the history of NATO, then U.S. policy towards post-Soviet Russia, and uh, also mentioned the policy toward the EU. But I think uh, we've got a break, and when we come back, we'll try to just talk about this question that people are trying to answer. Who blew up the pipeline? Who blew it up? Over in your article, it says Swedish seismologists estimated that the power of the explosions may have reached the equivalent of up to 700 kilograms or kgs of TNT, and... It's a fascinating what people are speculating, but I want to walk through this article. I think you lay it out very nicely, and then we'll get to what the U.S. could have 
done. More with Pete Garcia when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. So Pete Garcia uh, writes like 500 articles or more than that, and uh, he has written, I should say, and you can get more information on him over on his website, which is Rev310.net. And I was a little ambitious today before... Uh, the podcast we were planning on trying to get to a couple different topics. Uh, Pete, I don't think we're going to do this, but you've got a great article called Beyond Human on transhumanism and uh, talking about the next steps in human evolution. I just want to tease some of these things. Um, artificial intelligence, quantum technology, um, let's see, nanotechnology, cloning, genetic engineering, implantable technology, enhanced humans, anti-aging technologies, smart devices, digital currency, and um, there's so many things that he writes about that that are happening in, in that realm, that is transhumanism. So go check out that article as well over on Pete's website. It's called Beyond Human. So, Pete, everybody really wants to get to the to the nitty-gritty here and, and get to the bottom line. We have speculated that it is in the United States, or I should say the left, the deep state, the Biden administration's best interest to weaken uh, Germany, weaken uh, the EU, and and uh, to sabotage the pipeline. And there are some things that are, um, as you say, there's culpability here. So let's start with Sweden, um, I guess, detected the amount of TNT that probably sh- could have been used to do the damage that they did on the pipeline. So I'll let you just walk through this and explain what happened. By the way, how the pipes were built with the reinforced, the steel reinforced concrete, I wasn't aware it was that almost impenetrable, but share with us uh, as uh, what you wrote about. Yeah, this, those pipes are designed so that um, a ship's anchor from one of those big tankers, if a, if a ship dropped an anchor on top of that pipe, uh, that it would just bounce off of it. So these are incredibly strong pipelines. And so Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 are really four pipelines. Nord Stream 1 is two pipelines, and Nord Stream 2 is two pipelines. Um, they are expensive. Uh, Nord Stream 1 cost uh, Russia, I believe, $15 billion, uh, to build, and then Nord Stream 2 was around $2 billion. Um, they exist, uh, at least where these attacks happen. Were in, uh, it's interesting that they were precisely in locations uh, that that weren't in you know considered NATO territory, um, so they were they were exactly in uh, Sweden and Denmark's economic zones, hmm. which do not count in terms of uh, Article Five of the NATO Charter, where you know an attack on one is attack on all. Um, it, it's it's in their economic zone, so that falls outside of the threshold, right? And so that, that this this whole thing reminds me of this idea of of a gray war. Uh, which is the any type of kinetic or con- conflict, military conflict below the threshold of declared war, and mm-hmm. we've seen that really perfected throughout the Cold War. Where you take you take things just to the threshold of war, then you back down. Wow, you, know, you scale off a little bit, and and this is where we are trying to. And, and so here's the thing: I don't think uh, we'll get into uh, who did it and why, but I, I don't think the intent was to. Ultimately, um, well, it wasn't to stop the flow of gas necessarily. It was to sever the relationship 
to make it so painful that it wasn't worth it. You know, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze between Germany and Russia. Because hmm. the last thing the United States wants is a really close Germany and Russia together. Right, right. Um, so, so back to what I mentioned earlier with regards to culpability. Uh, again, I'm, I'm deferring to monkey, monkey at monkeyworks.com for his work that he's done uh, in tracking this. And he's got it kind of bulletized. He says, uh, you know, here, here are the facts about the sabotage. Number one, Biden said we were going to do it. Yeah. Number two, it happened overnight on the 26th of September. And I have the video link to, to where Biden, you know, I'm quoting by our Biden's. You can see him watch him saying it. Yep. Uh, number three, uh, we have a U.S. Navy P-8 fly from the United States to refueling rendezvous points over Poland at uh, 0 to 10 uh, hours uh, Greenwich time, which is Here's where it starts to get interesting. When we know that uh, as a pilot, when you go fly, you have to register your tail number, you have to register where you're going, et cetera. All that stuff's you know, highly um, uh, tracked yes. so that in case you do crash or whatever, they have a record of, of your flight path, mm-hmm. what happened, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And when we begin to scrub our tail numbers, when we begin to scrub you know, even – uh, our existence, that that flight is that flight's existence. We know something is is not above board on what's going on with this. So the two aircraft, the call signs he gives them, uh, they sync up at twenty six thousand feet for extended refueling. So instead of landing, they're flying this P eight from the United States. Wow! And instead of landing in Europe or you know in say England at an airbase there or in Germany at an airbase there. They're doing the refueling in the air, so they don't have to land. Wow! They don't have to report what's on the what's on the plane. They don't have to do any of that. They don't have to answer to anybody. They're in the air. Um, the Navy P eight then continues on to the Nord Stream pipeline location, which again, this particular area that we're talking about is in the economic zone between Sweden and Denmark, and descends to below ten thousand feet at about three forty five in the morning. It exits the area around zero seven. And it's the only it is the only aircraft over the area the entire time. Now, uh, in, on his website, and I have that hyperlinked on my my article, he's got diagrams showing that these different kind of torpedoes that are kind of dropped from these planes via um, um, I won't say a glider, but it's kind of like a a UAV kind of mounted to this torpedo, mm-hmm. and at a certain altitude, the UAV detaches or the torpedo detaches from the UAV, and it, the torpedo drops into the water. And then it goes off on its pre-coordinated, um, <clears throat> you know, a destination. Uh, so this must have, you know, there would have had to have been at least three of these torpedoes that would have been dropped. Uh, obviously, the last pipeline, one of those pipelines out of the four is still uh, solvent, still usable. So three of the four were damaged. Um, and at that point, the, I think the depth here that we're talking about is around uh, where these pipelines sit is about 180 feet, if I'm not mistaken, okay. like 60 oh. meters. Okay, can I ask you something real quick, Pete? A lot of people have had in, sure. in mind that uh, at that depth, we're not talking the heart of the ocean here in the middle of the Atlantic or Pacific. We're, we're talking about something that uh, you're thinking, okay, got men in scuba gear can get down to. But there would have to be a ship that would have been, or from a plane lowered down. That's probably not possible or not feasible because there were no, as you say, there are probably no ships in the area because there's only record of these two aircraft. Do, do I have that right? Yeah, yeah. So there's no ships in the area. Uh, and yeah, you're right. It, there would have to be a boat with uh, uh, folks, you know, uh, with their diving equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that would be a very long, uh, process to make that actually happen. Right. Um, 
the only other option really for that kind of depth, I think, is is um, using underwater drones, which you could launch from a distance, I guess. Okay. Uh, I'm not the expert, but I do know that, Amer- that the U.S., we have, there's probably about 40 or 50 different kinds of robotic drones out there. Everything from like insect insectoid type of robots all the way to, you know, ones that go in the, in the water, uh, underwater, subterranean, things that fly, um, you know, things that uh, burrow in the dirt. I mean, there's all kinds wow. of drones and robots that they have available, the U.S. has available. So, but it's either one of those two things, okay. either that they drop this torpedo or they use some kind of underwater drone. Okay, can we just clarify then that what we have on record, and you say that other nations and their intelligence can find this out, and I would, if I were a betting man, I would even bet that possibly some so-called journalists in America could find this out, but they're not reporting this. They're blaming it on Putin or somebody else, or who knows who did it, who blew up the pipeline. They're not at all uh, mention. I haven't heard a mention of these two aircraft that were in that area. Have Have you heard it on any of the major news outlets? No, no. What no. you're reporting, and, you which know, is fascinating. Yeah, no. But but you know, when you look when you look back at the two things, if you look back at motive, why would we do this? Obviously, we have motive and we have culpability here. So mm-hmm. uh, all the stuff that Monkey pulls off of research from Skyglass and other uh, so- software aircraft tracking software. That's all open source stuff. So that's stuff that's on the internet. Uh, anybody can pull that off. And, and, and again, my bet is that Russia and Germany already have their intelligence agencies already have. They already know who did this. Yep. Um, and so, so they, I, I think that Russia will respond at some point, and I but I don't know what that looks like. So you have information here, well, from Monkey Works about Bart Twelve, the air refueler, that the the flight record was wiped, and then the Navy uh, jet P eight. Um, it's not listed in the aircraft database. Can you explain that? What the is, hex code's not listed. What is not listed? Yeah. What's a hex code? It's like their, uh, I mean, it's, that's a, it's a code specific to that particular aircraft. So if that's removed from there, then that means somebody with uh, significant authority is able to do that. Wow. Wow. So the aircraft, as you wrote, the aircraft flew as masked. And that means uh, it didn't want to be tracked. So <laughs> this is amazing exactly. that it can be found out by people that either former military or other people that know how to track this and other nations know about this. What do you think? Would there be any response? I mean, between from Germany or Russia or somebody if they know, if, if they were to believe whether, let's just take that back. They don't know, but let's just say they believe that the U.S was involved in this, um, would there be any retaliation of some kind? I know we're oh, speculating. Yeah. yeah. yeah, we're, yeah. No, this is, this is a bit of speculation, yeah. So I, I think that, uh, I think at least from Germany's uh, perspective, if, if it does come to their uh, understanding that, you know, via their intelligence agencies that the U.S. was solely culpable in this, I think that that, that may shift a change in their foreign policy towards us. Um, that may shift a, a, a willingness to um, either uh, vote out or, or agree to opt out of NATO, which would change, obviously, the, the status quo for NATO for the last 70 years, mm. um, and opt to do some kind of European defense force, which they are, they've been talking, again, they've been talking about this for a number of years now, since at least 2018, since I've tracked, but 
Um, and then from Russia, I believe that their 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 response will be more of a, in a tactical nature, um, where they'll hit they'll hit us where where it hurts. And remember back to uh, I don't know some point last year, the year before, where where Biden gave Putin the sixteen critical infrastructure things. He's like, don't hit those sixteen things, and he lists out what sixteen things they are. <laughs> and he said he admitted that he gave this list to Putin. <laughs> I'm like, why would you do that? Uh, so now Putin knows exactly where to hit us. There's 16 different ways he can hit us. So Jeez. take your pick. I mean, I don't know. Oh, man. Um, you mentioned the RAND report. Uh, one one of the things they put out back, it was leaked actually in, 20, in January 2022. And uh, it says uh, a, a list or, or interest of who this nonpartisan, and as you said earlier, it's obviously most of them are partisan. They're, they're, they're leftists. Um, it was distributed to the White House, uh, the Department of State, CIA, NSA, and the Democratic National Committee. Didn't the Republican Party get a copy of this, too? <laughs> nope, nope. And that's Probably interesting good, to me. Though, right? <laughs> yeah, well, but, but why? What, why are the Democrats so interested in this? Well, they're interested in keeping power, right? Of so course. Obviously, yeah. the midterm's coming up. Um, and so... Uh, Everything kind of drives around that that base desire to keep their keep their power. Um, the the status quo that they've had with Europe, and you got to remember, there's two there's two. Oh, it's probably many more than two, but the two big ones. You have what uh, Trump called the deep state, mm-hmm. uh, the swamp. Those are those are American um, um, power vest, you know, power organizations that that run underneath the elected officials in the Washington and New York City and other places in the U.S., their goal is to keep America on top at all costs, and they, and they want to keep their place on top of America. So America's on top of the world, they're on top of America. And then the second kind of group is these new world order types who want a Agenda 2030, they want the Great Reset, they want a westernized global um, leadership with themselves at the top. And, mm-hmm. and these are Americans and Russian are not Russians, Europeans, right? So, yep. Um, they, they, there's two, and they have two com- competing, co- uh, conflicted, uh, agendas because both sides want to stay on top. You know, people are greedy and people are selfish and that's human nature. And so these political parties are the epitome of that. Um, so they are, um, their goal was to keep, uh, Europe dependent upon the United States. And in order to do that, they have to keep Europe weak. In order to keep Europe weak, weak they have to keep Germany weak. And they do mm-hmm. that through these, destabilization efforts uh, such as this. So this was meant to, to drive a wedge between Germany and Russia. Um, but again, despite our best efforts, I say our best efforts, their best efforts, <laughs> um, there are fingerprints. There are fingerprints yep. on this, this thing, this smoking gun. And I think that it, when the light hits it, um, this is not going to bode well for U.S., you know, Europe, relations. Mm-hmm. I would think so, too. Um, that report, the RAND report, mentions a domino effect. But before we get to that, you write something very interesting. Pete Garcia, you say, the further we drift from God, the more problems our nation incurs. And the more problems we incur, the weaker our grip becomes. In other words, our power on the world stage. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I, I think that God Obviously, Acts seventeen twenty six. He appoints the nations and appoints their boundaries, and the times in which they'll live yes. and, and exist and thrive. Um, and I think that we are coming at the end of ours. And in, in a nation that's in decline or an empire that's in decline is incredibly dangerous. Hmm. 
and uh, and that's when the leadership becomes the most desperate. Interesting. Uh, if you look back to the end of World War II, Hitler was using the boys to fight in the army because you know he was he was to that like, he didn't care like he didn't care who he killed to, to stay in power to you know keep it going. I, I think that that we're seeing that now too, and so I think that's that this desperation within the administration within the deep state is um, we're starting to see these things play out on the news with regards to the central bank digital currency. They know the gig's up with the dollar. They know that the, we know the, the nation is $30 trillion in debt, $31 trillion in debt, mm-hmm. you know, $171 trillion in, in unfunded liabilities, $171 trillion. Uh, there's no way, there's no possible way in a million years we could pay any of this stuff back. So they know something's going to have to change. The digital currency may be an, an opportunity for them to keep things to extend it out. So I think that they're willing to uh, break the Constitution. They are willing to uh, break every social norm. They are willing to, to do anything that they can to stay in power. And I think this this Nord Stream pipeline is just one example uh, mm. amongst the rest of, of that. So we know in the Bible that there is no nation dimension that is like the United States. So and there's no nation in all of Bible prophecy that resembles the United States. Uh, so I think that uh, that our absence on the prophetic stage is coming, and, and we're just we're starting to see it play out in real life. Amen. Yes. So I think we're going to see the rise of Europe and the and the rise of these other nations that are mentioned in Bible prophecy. I think that's a fascinating take, uh, Pete. Thank you, um, and I appreciate you pointing out or reminding us of Acts seventeen twenty six. He does mark out the appointed times for nations, and um, that's fascinating, too, just that point. When we come back, if the U.S., which had motivation and culpability, apparently, and capability, did this to the pipelines, what happens if it backfires? Pete writes about that as well. Coming up next. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. So our guest today, Pete Garcia. The website is Rev310.net. We're talking about a fascinating and extensive article he wrote. Uh, it's called Operation Magog, and it's based on Ezekiel 38. Pete, before we continue in this, what you said just before we got back on the air cracked me up. You saw an article at the HuffPo. First of all, what are you doing reading Huffington Post? And second of all, uh, it, 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 they were saying that a, a, what, a small nuclear war could be good for us. What, what was that about? Yeah, this came out on February 26. Uh, this is 2011, but it's oh, wow. funny that we, you and I were talking about speculation, and <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, okay, wait a minute. I remember seeing this article. Just could a small nuclear war reverse global warming? Um, and anyways, it goes on to oh. fight NASA and, and, and NOAA and all these other folks about could a nuclear war help global warming? And so I think that, that when it comes to speculation, when we when we stick to the, what the Bible says, it has a proven track record, a 100% proven track record. And what the world is speculating against, you know, they're like in Nostradamus land, you know, where it's just bizarre, it doesn't make any sense. But we're, we're seeing the Bible come to life in real life right now. And so uh, with regards to Ezekiel 38, and I, I kind of want to tie everything back to that because it, it lays out what's going to happen. And mm-hmm. so I think, um, as, as we talked about earlier, I think that there is going to be a decline with the United States, and in our decline, 
um, that obviously creates a huge power vacuum, a geopolitical power vacuum in the world hmm. that other nations are rushing in to fill. Interesting. I think this Nord Stream pipeline issue is just one of, of many, you know, death by a thousand cuts for us in terms of how we be, we get knocked off the stage, right? But But interestingly, as all of this is happening in the backdrop, you have uh, Israel, who has this natural, uh, this massive discoveries of natural gas off their coast. Um, they've been in talks with Cyprus and Greece for a number of years now and have begun development of these, of a East Med pipeline that will um, uh, connect Israel's gas fields there to uh, through Cyprus and onto Greece to where they can become, uh, well, in my opinion, they're going to become the alternative, the primary alternative for energy solutions for Europe. And again, everything kind of hinges on how harsh the winter is this year mm, and yeah. how quickly some of this stuff is going to play out in terms of um, people's reaction, the, the, the population's reaction there in Europe against uh, both the German leadership and um, anywhere else in, in, in Europe there that's suffering from lack of energy. That may speed up this this Israeli pipeline project. So mm, that's again another another thing that that's going to draw this coalition to come against Israel. Uh, so, Pete, before we get to the prophetic implications a little more, um, I want to go back to the International Court of Justice, the ICJ. Um, I have been saying for probably over a decade and a half that the political left on America mean whether that be uh, leftists, deep state, uh, Democrats, progressives, I've, I've said they're above the law. We've been shown time and time again, starting with the Clintons, and you can, you know, Hunter Biden, I mean, Nancy Pelosi, any of, they're above the law. So you say that if this should backfire on the U.S. in, in this particular case, it's likely that the International Court of Justice is not going to be able to, uh, haul in leaders like Biden, Blinken or others to stand trial. They're not going to, I don't believe they would be able to do that because they're so well protected. But then other nations uh, may not want to do business with us, you write. And political America, I'm quoting you, political America is becoming a dead albatross around the necks of any nation we partner with. Explain that and in, in anything you want to share about the ICJ and what, what they might try to do. Um, years ago, uh, man, right when the Arab Spring started, I wrote that um, I, I spoke about the domino effect that, that was happening because of what I think Obama began there with his speech in Cairo in yes. 2009. Yep. Um, but that Arab Spring, I, you know, this was 2011. So at this point, I wrote that Bashar Assad, all he needs to do is, is step back and look and see what's happening if he wants to survive this. And he, re- he recognized early on it's better to be our enemy than our friend. Right. Our friends get betrayed. We use them. Uh, they just they get stuck with the bill. However you want to look at it. Every time people have partnered with the United States in, in some of these things, depending on the administration, it's always turned bad for them. Mm. And uh, not always, but and I'm talking about in recent years, really, probably from Vietnam forward. And uh, I think that there the people are going to start waking up. And even if the International Court of Justice can't bring in certain leadership, they can certainly put in, uh, indictments out on them. And they could they could do what to us what we tried to do to Russia hmm. in terms of boycotting us. Now, granted, the dollar is everywhere; it's our greatest export, a national export. Um, but we see that quickly coming to an end with this digital currencies coming online. So, 
the, I think that we'll see this play out the minute that the world is no longer dependent upon the U.S. dollar, that that this is where this is going to really start to flesh out okay. and happen very rapidly. And they could boycott us. They could um, they could close our embassies. I mean, they could really begin to isolate us in a way that uh, I haven't seen. I, I saw it a little bit in 2006 when I was in Europe. Uh, and right after my deployment to Iraq, the Iraq war was very unpopular there. Um, so I, I just think that um, this w- this will be the same thing, but multiplied on and on steroids. I mean, it'll be very, very bad for us. So you write about implications prophetically, and you a little bit ago you talked about Israel and their natural gas resources, but you said that they're attempting to negotiate a deal with Lebanon. What What, what is that about? Well, the the one of the newest fields that they found borders uh, between uh, Lebanon's maritime zones um, and then the Israelis. So it kind of it's on both this this gas field that's underground. Uh, I've, Lebanon doesn't have the the ability to drill it, but they want the the money from that, and so they've made a bunch of demands to Israel. And over the years, it's always been kind of like sixty forty split between the two. The, the Israelis would go dig it and drill it and begin shipping out gas from that, and they would cut a, a percentage of that proceeds to Lebanon. Uh, but the, now the most recent uh, negotiation under the Biden administration is basically giving uh, Israel everything. And then uh, Lapid, uh, Yair Lapid, who's the interim prime minister there in Israel, mm-hmm. is basically just handing everything over for free, saying we just want peace and security. Uh, and then Lebanon, as of yesterday, gave the Israelis a 24-hour notice that if they don't comply with, and I didn't catch the, the, the total demands that they're asking for, but if the Israelis didn't comply within 24 hours, that that would signal to Hezbollah and these other groups that they would begin military operations against Israel. So wow. I think we'll see that today, if depending on what Israel does. Okay, uh, Pete, in the last five minutes or so, let's jump down to your comparisons with what Jesus stated in Luke 17 about uh, the days of Noah and Lot and how they align with our own day. You list off, I don't know, at least a half a dozen things. Just go through that list and then just take us uh, through the end. You end up with, uh, with Ezekiel 38, 18 through 23. Yeah, so uh, Jesus said in uh, Luke 17, he, he likened that his, the, his, the days prior to his return would be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Both of those days, uh, both of those instances in the Bible were marked by great, terrible judgments that happened. And both Noah and his family and Lot and his family were rescued just prior to this. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the overarching picture of it. But the comparisons is, that Jesus is trying to is not the great wickedness, the Nephilim, all of the stuff that kind of was, you know, uh, sodomized and all the stuff that surrounded those events and why they were why they happened. He was talking about the normalcy that happened yes. just prior to by those people. Yes. The world is, is a, is in a state of normalcy. Now, uh, Leonard Reed years ago had this really great quote about, we don't recognize the loss of individual freedoms because we're like the frogs in this pot. You know, the water's getting slowly turned up and we don't recognize how hot it's getting. Right. But now, uh, if somebody were transplanted from the year, say 1940 to the year today, and they could just see the world for 20 minutes, what it's like. <laughs> they, the, the differences would be shocking yes. to them, how much things have changed. They could watch the news for 20 minutes. 
Yeah. You know, the, the, they would just be shocked at how much we've come, how far we've come and gone down this road towards uh, like a dystopia, a totalitarian regime with what the government's able to do now. So uh, we are we we are in this normalcy, yet the wickedness is rising, the, the, the earthquakes, pandemics, all these things are happening, like birth things are coming closer and faster and harder. Um, but but to us it's normal because it's part of normal life, right? Right. If you lived in if you lived in Russia, if I transplanted you from he- right now today from here to like Soviet Russia, the differences for you would be stark. But somebody that grew up in Soviet Russia at the time, to them that's normal life. So mm. we are in a state of normalcy. Yet there's great wickedness and all these things happening. Uh, but the great the the biggest sign to me though that now is with the wickedness is that it's being normalized by yes. governments. Yes. Governments are normalizing this, this bizarre, bizarre, wicked behavior as if it's natural. And I think that that's, we've come to the end of our line in those regards. Mm-hmm. Well, we're talking about Romans 1. We're talking about be- calling evil good and good evil, a depraved mind, and God giving them over. And yeah, the, the, the foolishness of God is wiser than man. Uh, and you point out toward the end of the article, too, very important uh, and fascinating thought about at the rapture of the church that you write that the U.S. will be hit hardest with the sudden disappearances of millions of people, and it will absolutely collapse the U.S. economy and society. Uh, paint that picture a little bit for us, Pete. Yeah, um, so right now in America, there's around 330 million Americans. And out of that, you know, even if we were to take 10% of that population and say these are true born-again believers, so right around 30 million Americans, if we take those people immediately out of, uh, the, of the world picture um, via rapture, you're, you're removing 30 million people from every spectrum of society. Wow. So there are, there are probably many more Christians in China, but they're underground. They, they're basically the bottom rungs of that society. They're not allowed to come out in the open right. and practice their faith. So everything they do is below board. Um, but here in America, you have Christians in politics, you have Christians in law enforcement, in the military, and then the medical arts or yep. the medical fields, the, the <laughs> arts, the science. You have you have Christians spread throughout every sector of, the, of society. I think that, and too, is why we've seen a very great satanic push um, um, to, to drive Christians out of those areas. You know, Satan wants Christians out of government. They want them out of politics. They want them out of law enforcement. They want them out of the academia. Yep. So that when the rapture does happen, the impact won't be as great. But I think because of the restrainer and the restrainer's holding things in place right now, that when, when the rapture does happen, it'll pull Christians from all over the world. But I think the impact will be felt the hardest here in the United States. Yes, that absolutely makes sense because of our freedom, because of the Constitution, because God at one point shed his grace on thee on America, and uh, he really did bless this nation, bless this land, and we've we've kind of lost our grip on it when it comes to any kind of a biblical worldview and, and morality. Um, but I like the way you lay that out, and then you end this. And it, by the way, the, friends, this phenomenal article, it's called Operation Magog, and you end it with Ezekiel 38, verses 18 through 23, and we'll just skip to the end. And let you wrap it up with a few thoughts, Pete. Uh, Thus I will magnify myself, God says, and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. And they will know, right, Pete? <laughs> they will know. Amen. Yeah, they will. Yeah, beyond a shadow of a doubt. 
I think I think I think the rapture happens. Uh, I think what we're, we're seeing the world going down the, the path that it's going now with the U.S. declining, Europe beginning to stir, uh, all of these things that we're starting to see play out right now. But I think the rapture is what the key, the missing piece of all this is. So the, the minute that the rapture happens, hmm. um, this is when all these things are going to start to speed up very quickly. And Russia is going to take advantage of the chaos in the West, Russia, Turkey, Iran. They're going to try and attack Israel. Israel is going to come out on top because God here is supernaturally protecting them. That is going to create all these vacuums in the world that this beast system that's coming uh, there in Revelation 13, this beast system now is going to begin filling those voids with this new imperial beast kingdom. You know, maybe it's regionalized or whatever, but the Ten Kings come out of this, the Antichrist, the False Prophet, all that. So all of these things are taking place uh, in very short order. I think we're just seeing the, the shadow of this stuff happening the shadows beginning to get crisper, and we're starting to starting to make out the picture of what's happening. So I think that we're very Christians should be very excited that the rapture is very very soon. Wow, wow, yeah, it's just amazing. As you, that word that you used, and a lot of us are using more often, a convergence of events is it, you you cannot ignore the fact that these things are happening and at increasing speeds. Um, Pete, uh, any? I mean, you could take all of your articles or by topic, and you could put a bunch of books out there. Uh, you write so <laughs> extensively. Do you have anything coming up in the near future? Any books coming out? My wife, I did four books last year. My wife kind of made me swear off writing books for a while. So uh, I'm going to stick to articles and interviews and uh, the occasional conference and then uh, what the Lord has in store for sure here. All right. Fascinating writing. We appreciate it. Very well done, Pete Garcia. God bless you and your ministry, brother. Thank you. All right. God bless. Bye. All right. Tomorrow we have Pastor Jeff Solwald on with us. He's a pastor at Calvary Chapel, Madison, Wisconsin. Tough place to be a pastor. But, uh, boy, he's got a phenomenal testimony. I'm going to ask him to share a little bit of what he shared last month at the Great Lakes Prophecy Conference. Uh, Kevin McGarry, Every Black Life Matters. You'll hear from him, a rebroadcast on Wednesday. Pastor Carl Gallops is on with us Thursday. And Pastor Scott Lively on Friday. God bless you, and as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.